Hey, good morning, church family, and happy new year. I'm not with you in person this morning. In fact, I have the high honor of preaching God's word at a friend of mine's church in Birmingham, Alabama, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. We're there visiting friends and family for the holidays, but we'll very soon be returning to you for another year of ministry. However, you're in for a treat. Over 10 years ago, a guy named Jason Williamson joined our team for a brand new position. It was new to us and new to him. Jason's our missions pastor. If you know anything about Church at the Mill, you know that we're passionate about carrying out the mission of Christ. And Jason is the leader of this ministry. And I've asked him to come this morning, not only because he has a passion to share with you what God is doing in and through our missions ministry, he also is a gifted communicator of God's word. So set back, open up your copy of God's word and give Jason your attention as he encourages you. Good morning, Church at the Mill. As Pastor DJ said, I'm Jason Williamson. I'm the missions pastor at the Mill, and it has been a, a blessing. Let me just start by thanking you. I just completed my 10th year being a part of our team, and my wife and I have been a part of our church for 18 years, but 10 years on our staff, and that is truly a blessing to us because of all of the love and encouragement that you have shared with us. And if you'll take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians 2, we're going to look at the first four verses of that. And we're going to take a look at a, a message that I've just simply called more significant that is all about what Scripture says about our response to what God wants us to do to serve other people and put them before ourselves. We're going to look at the why and the how we should be serving one another. So I'm going to start and just read the first four verses before we dig in. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. About a year ago, I was with a mission team in an Asian country, and it was our last night at the hotel before we needed to get up at about four in the morning and head to the airport to come back home. We had a great week. We were in a, a rural context for part of that trip, working on a future church plant. We spent time in encouraging believers at a church in the, in the capital city of this country. And uh, we were with missionaries from our church and we were loving on them and their family. Uh, but we were going to get up at about four in the morning and head back to the hotel. And uh, because we knew it was going to be a, a long night, um, I had some uh, melatonin help me get some sleep because sleeping on a plane is just not something that is a spiritual gift of mine, though I do it all the time sitting on a plane. Unless I am horizontal, I'm probably not going to sleep. So I had some melatonin, and I was going to try to get a good night of sleep. But at 1 o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call. And uh, there was one English speaker at this hotel, and it was her task to call us and wake us up, and her message to me was very simple. She said, hello, we need you to leave the hotel. It is on fire. <laughs> there were no smoke alarms. We, we didn't hear anything else. There were no flashing lights. 
she was the fire alarm. She was all we had, and so she followed that up with one more sentence, and she said, the floor above you is on fire. We were on the 11th floor. So we had no idea. First of all, I, I wasn't sure if this was a dream or not. I'd had melatonin, and I was a little groggy, and I had no idea if this was actually happening. So I, I, I talked to my roommate. I said, man, what, what are we going to do? We had another room across the hall where our ladies were, and so we went and knocked on the door and woke them up, and we said, look, uh, there's a fire, according to our smoke alarm that called me. And we said, look, I, I think we just need to take all of our stuff. I have no idea how long this is going to take. We, we need to be up in a few hours anyway. Let's just take everything. So we had 50-pound suitcases, and we're running down 11 flights of stairs, getting the best quad workout we could possibly get. And we make it outside, and we're standing in the cold. It's, it's probably 30 degrees, and, and we're just kind of bundled up with all of our stuff. And uh, the woman, the only English speaker, she came back outside to us, and she said, hello. I said, hi. <laughs> Thanks for the phone call, we really appreciated it. She said, um, it is very cold outside, why don't you come and stand in the lobby? It's warmer there. And I thought, of course it's warmer, it's on fire. <laughs> so there, there were three fire engines there, and we didn't see any big flames, but there was some smoke at the floor above us. There was a ladder fully extended and hoses spraying in there, and we saw lots of smoke coming out. It turns out that somebody uh, shot off some fireworks, and it didn't go so well. Um, but this woman, I, I feel like maybe she had our interest in mind, but I think it was a little misguided, and it was probably not a good look to have four American tourists standing outside in the cold, and so she invited us in, and uh, I felt like maybe it was more of a move of job security than it was thinking about our own interests, and um, we really didn't want to go back into a burning building anyway, so we walked to our, our missionary's house a, a couple miles away, and we pounded on the door until they let us in and slept on their floor. So I, I, what I want to do, though, is this morning I want to use that as a, a bad example on how we should serve others and look at what Scripture says on the mindset we should have with serving other people. And if you look in your uh, passage just above it in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, uh, Paul is focused on bringing believers together, and he says this, "'Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So in our key passage this morning, Paul is going to take that a step further and really focus on what living out a life worthy of the gospel says. And that is going to be our response to God's promise. That's where we're going to start, our response to God's promise. And so we see a series of clauses that is essentially one massive if-then statement. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and actually the NIV, I love the NIV translation a little bit better. It says, instead of affection and sympathy, it says, tenderness and compassion. And so each of these if statements lead into the big then of complete my joy, make my joy complete, as Paul says. But 
what we can actually do is take these ifs out. Sometimes it can be a, a little challenging for us to comprehend that because we think of those as conditional. But what this text is actually saying, it might be better to say as surely as or since, or because we know there is. So if we read that again, we see that because there's encouragement in Christ, or since there's comfort from love, or as surely as there is participation in the Spirit, or affection and sympathy, then we get to make our joy complete. So if, if you are a believer in Christ today, you experience all of these things. You feel each of these pieces. These are key comforts that we have as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And, and this is gonna reaffirm the work of salvation in our life. If we know we are saved, if we have professed that Jesus is Lord of our life and we have confessed our sins before him, we experience each of these things. And I wanna encourage you, those Christians that are here today, that we get to make Paul's joy complete because of each of these four things that are in our life. But for those of us that are, are listening that have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, let me just encourage you in this. There's messages and there's times where we have an invitation or, or, or a call at the end, and, and I just felt like this is such an important place for us to stop and consider. Because we read that list of those different encouragements, the comforts, the tenderness, the compassion that we could receive, but not all of us feel that right now. And, and so let me just say that if you have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, we're about to turn the year on 2023. We're about to have a blank slate and a fresh start and a clean slate as we move forward into a new year where we can be refreshed individually as well, and we can have that encouragement that comes from Christ, because I know that this year could have been really tough for some, that you could be down and discouraged, but that encouragement from Christ is for you. If you've been struggling with your sin and you're ashamed of the things that have been going on in your life publicly or, or privately or secret sin that has been, been going on, you can have comfort from the love of Christ that this passage talks about. If you feel alone and depressed or isolated or anxious, you can make a decision today to follow Jesus because each of these promises is also for you and you can have the same participation in the spirit that Christians for eternities have experienced because it's a promise of God that we can enjoy and respond to. If you feel like maybe you're rough around the edges or unapproachable or unlovable, God has the same affection and sympathy for you, and you can have that today. He loved you before anyone else could love you. He had your back before you even had a back to love. If, if you feel like you have been beat down and you're ready for a change, then this is for you. These promises are for you. Maybe you're struggling with, with thoughts that don't honor the Lord, and you don't value your own life, then give it to God because that's what he wants. He cherishes your life so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he gives us each of these promises that we get to enjoy. So if you're ready to do that and, and move forward into 2024, a new person with a new heart that's made out of flesh and that's not made out of stone, God can change that today. Talk to someone after service is over. Go to our prayer room. We would love to pray with you. And 
when you follow Jesus, whether it's been for decades or just for moments in your life, we have a responsibility to Paul, who's our author of this text and one of the forerunners of our faith, we have a responsibility to Paul to make his joy complete. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. So what is Paul's joy that he's talking about? Well, if you look back one chapter, in Philippians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's joy comes from his friends and the other disciples and the other believers joining with him in ministry, in the gospel ministry. And so he wrote this to Philippians, but it's absolutely relevant for us today to strive alongside Paul in making his joy complete. As co-laborers in the gospel ministry, you and I and Paul and the disciples from that time, we're, we're to follow Jesus and he outlines how we can do that in three steps. Paul says, first, be of the same mind. This means have the same goal. Paul isn't telling people necessarily that we all need to think exactly the same or do exactly the same things. We're not to be a, a robot for Jesus. We're, we're to live the lives that are unique to us. We're to use the, the influences that we have in our lives, the gifts and the talents and the skills and the resources that God gave us, but we're all to have the same goal. If, if we're going to encourage everyone, we need to have the same goal in mind so that the messaging is the same, so that the people who do not yet know Jesus can experience all of those same things that we saw before. Secondly, he says that we need to have the same love. In, in verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound and then in verse 16, he says, when talking about others that were preaching out of rivalry, they were trying to elevate themselves in the preaching that was going on in the area. Paul was speaking out against that. He said the latter do it out of love, meaning people that were like him. He said, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So we need to have the same love as that gospel community so that we can see the same outcome. Because what Paul was experiencing in this time is that there were a lot of lines that were dividing that culture. He had some that were preaching the truth, some that were preaching to get ahead, and they were ignoring things that were true to what Jesus wanted to share. And it doesn't sound that different than our own culture. We've got a lot of dividing lines in our culture. We've got racial lines and political lines and geographical lines. We've got pro-life and pro-choice lines. We've got sexuality lines. We've got gender lines. But the great thing about all of this is that Jesus blurred all of those lines when he began to fellowship with the lost, when he began to express unity that the gospel is for everyone, both the Jew and the Greek, that the gospel of unity exists for every person whether they were born into one way of life or another. He blurred all of those lines, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to think about and having the same love that we approach other people with. Lastly, he says, being in full accord in one mind. 
So he's, he's being a little repetitive, and so he's actually continuing one thought and using that repetition to reinforce being of one mind. But by being in full accord, he wants us to be in harmony with one another. In chapter 2, verse 10, just below our passage, this is the true goal that he's aiming for that we, we sang and spoke of earlier, that then under the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's such a tall task that we're all gonna have the same goals, the same mindset, the same approach to our life. Whatever is confronting us each day at our workplaces or in our neighborhoods and our homes that we still have to have the same mindset. And so in order for us to make Paul's joy complete, we've got to reset our priorities. That's our third point, reset our priorities. It says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. People who are filled with this vain conceit that Paul speaks of, they, they pretend they're better or stronger or, or more capable than they really are. And the biggest risk in all of that is that somebody who's filled with that vain conceit may feel like they're doing things on their own or they're doing it without God. I know that the times in my life where I am probably farthest away from God are probably the times that I am more dependent on myself in my life to get things done because I'm focused on my own power and not under God's. I'm focused on my abilities and not that they came from God to begin with. The sentence that we just saw has so much packed into it. And, and first, there's this negative. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or, or, or vain conceit which also can be defined as empty glory. Empty glory. It's not going to God. It's, it's going to the self, which has nothing for God. And we're incapable of completing Paul's joy if we're doing it out of a place where we are to be made better or we are to be elevated and God is to be lowered or not even acknowledged at all. But then we're given this, this great statement to count others more significant than ourselves. If we're to complete Paul's joy, then we have to do exactly what he did. Paul followed Jesus, Jesus followed the Father, and God loved us and others so much that he made a way for us to be with him forever. So we, we've got to do what Paul did, what Jesus did, what God did when he made that way by sending Jesus. And so how in the world do we do that in a world that is filled with distraction and chaos and, and emphasis on individual accolades and things like that? Paul's word is real simple. He says, do it in humility. John Piper has a really brilliant way of rephrasing uh, counting others more significant. Piper says that we should count others worthy to be served. And if we look ahead just a couple verses to seven, it says Jesus emptied himself. Jesus counted us worthy to be served by emptying himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus made it so that we were worthy to be served. 
And so that's how we can begin to treat other people in, with humility. The idea of humility is so countercultural. As we go into 2024, we count so many other things. We have this statistic-driven culture, and so we count titles and diplomas, awards, accolades, clicks, followers, shares, likes, hearts, subscribers, members, buyers, backers, supporters, listeners, downloads, eyeballs, wallets, acreage, addresses, savings, and paychecks. All of those things point back to self. But what is it that Jesus counted? He counted souls. He counted souls. So do we actually count others more significant than ourselves, or are we just talking a really good game? If you remember, in the late 80s, there's a really inspirational movie called Weekend at Bernie's. So Weekend at Bernie's is about these two guys, Larry and Richard. If you've never seen this movie or you've forgotten all about it, let me summarize it really quickly. Larry and Richard work in the insurance industry, and they're in the accounting part. Larry and Richard discover a great discrepancy in the bookkeeping, and they brought it to the attention of their boss, Bernie Lomax. Bernie wanted to have a conversation with them, so he invited them to their lavish beach house where they could have a, a more one-on-one -on -one interaction. But what actually happened is that Bernie was the reason for the discrepancy. He was embezzling money, and he actually wanted to make sure that Larry and Richard would never speak of this again. But Larry and Richard get there, and they discover that somebody had already kind of killed Bernie Lomax. So they didn't want to get in trouble for the death of their boss, so they did the only rational thing possible. They made it look like Bernie wasn't dead. So they have this massive party, and they tie their shoelaces to Bernie's shoelaces, and they put their arms around each other, and they make it look like Bernie is alive. So everyone sees that he's the life of the party and that there's nothing wrong. So what in the world is my point in telling you that? Uh, spiritually, it's quite possible for us to look alive but on the inside, we are truly dead, and there's nothing going on. We can say that we love people. We can say that we care, that we serve, that we do different things, but what are our true motivations? Our true motivations to make it look like we did a thing or gave an amount or are involved in something, or is it truly to honor God and to serve God and to do it because God loved us first and that we need to count others more significant than ourselves. We don't do missions to pat ourselves on the back. We do missions to serve a God that loved us and served us first. We do it because we want the encouragement from Christ. We have the comfort from God's love, participation in the Spirit. We have that affection and sympathy. We have to be alive in Christ and we've got to put the needs of others before us. Can you imagine what your marriage or your home or our county would be like if we all went around serving one another? Man, it'd be a lot easier to load up the car with multiple kids in the rain if someone else is carrying your stuff for you. Parking spaces might be easier. You know, we'd outdo one another with our service constantly. It would be an incredible place to live. Finally, Paul describes how we should share the same resolve to love people. 
It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's look at Paul's words really carefully. He says, first, let each. He uses that word each because it's not just for the disciples. It's not just for the Philippians he's talking to. Scripture was intended for the audience when it was originally created, but also for us today. Each of us, these are instructions for all believers, and he also says not only in talking about our interests, Paul is saying to take care of ourselves, take care of our business, but while we are doing that, also look to the interests of other people. What Paul's not saying is get all your affairs in order, make sure your finances are tightened up, make sure that your time management is ready to go, make sure that everything in your home looks perfect before you go and serve other people. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying take care of the things in your life that you need to take care of, but while you're doing that, put other people first. He's not telling you that you do not matter. I share this verse with my kids all the time when they're trying to pick on or outdo their siblings. I said, listen, it's not that you don't matter. It's that I want you to treat your sisters or your brother like they matter more than you. We have importance. God has such value and worth in us because he created us, he loved us, he sent Jesus for us, that we just need to treat other people as if they are capable of having the same worth, if not more, than ourselves. So when we, when we continue to look at this, it says, but also, so it's a both and situation, my encouragement to you is to give all you have, but remember where you got it from. Give all of the talents, the, give all of the finances you can, give all of the abilities you have, give all of the wisdom and the knowledge that you possess. Give it all away, but remember where you got it from to begin with. God gave it to you as a gift. He gave it to you that you can share it with other people and ultimately make his name great. So what I want to branch off into, I want to give you a little bit of a look underneath the hood of missions at Church at the Mill. And I, I want to be able to share with you a couple of things that we do when we look at the interests of other people and how we can own that. How is it that we love people? There's two main ways that we can love people. First, we can love them individually or as a family in your home. And second of all, we can love them corporately as a church or also within your small group. We, we've tried to set it up so that our goal of Missions at the Mill is that every individual family and small group has a place to serve in our community. We have a kiosk in the foyer, and later on you can have an opportunity to receive one of these booklets that tells you all of the places where we serve locally. Your small group, if you're in one, and I hope you are, should have a missions coordinator. If it doesn't, maybe that's you. And that the job of that missions coordinator is to find opportunities for a group to, get, to come together and find a place where they can serve throughout the year. So we have these two different levels where we can encourage people, love people, care for the interests of other people. So let's talk about the individual part first. There's a great book by a guy named W. Oscar Thompson, and he has a quote in there. It says, when you place your faith in Jesus, you forfeit the right forever to decide who you love. Let me say that one more time. When you place your faith in Jesus, you forfeit the right forever to decide who you love. And he has this great concept of these concentric circles of concern. And so 
you can see on the screen that it begins on the innermost circle of this bullseye with ourself. We can ask ourselves, are, are, where are we spiritually? Am I following Jesus? Am I being discipled? Am I growing in my faith? But then there are these other rings that we have influence in. We have our immediate family, our relatives, close friends, neighbors and coworkers, acquaintances, and strangers that he calls person X. So we look at each of these rings where we have influence, and we can now use this somewhat as a checklist. Who in my household does not yet follow Jesus? Who did I just share Christmas with in my family that does not yet know Jesus? Who do I work with? Who do I go to the gym with? Who do I sit beside while I'm in my office? Who, who do I meet occasionally? Who am I behind in line at the store? Who am I sitting next to at a plane? Who are these person X's in my life? And what does it take to go from a person X to an acquaintance to a close friend? What is the next gospel step that I can take to get closer to this person and to help them grow closer to Jesus? So these are things that you can do in your family and in your life to love people individually. Now, in terms of us as a church in loving people corporately, we've got several different verses that can guide us on uh, the way that we define who we love. So here's the first one. Matthew 25, 35 through 36. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So this tells us that we can love the poor, the hungry, the refugee, the sick, the prisoner. These are our guiding verses on how we as Church at the Mill can love our community. Here's the next one from James. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we're going to serve orphans and widows because that's what Scripture tells us to do. We've got a ministry that cares to shut-ins and widows. We've got a ministry that deals specifically with foster kids or kids that are going through an adoption process. Here's another verse. Luke 18, 16, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus loves the little children. So we have many ministries that are available for you to serve at that deal specifically with at-risk children whether it's in our country or working with kids in other countries as well. Additionally, we can look to other Christians, and this verse tells us that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So there are Christians outside of our church that we can also love. There's a family that's in need of a lot of prayer and support right now that are in the life of my wife and I, and they've got a, a sick kid, and they're members at another church. Well, we, we still love them. We have Jesus as a common bond together. And so it's important for us to love one another because we have the same mindset. Paul encouraged us to have the same goal. And, and lastly, the lost and the people who have not yet followed Jesus because this is exactly what the Great Commission tells us, that we need to go and make disciples of all nations. So we have all of these pockets of people that we can love as a church. And so the way that we accomplish that 
is by meeting the needs of people in different ways. We, we can meet the needs of people physically or doing some humanitarian things. We've got a disaster relief team and we'll use chainsaws for Jesus and we'll help people when they have a big need. We'll go help mud out after a storm or a flood and we can use that as a way to encourage people to share the gospel with somebody. We can meet their needs by operating a food pantry as we do in our Lake Cooley campus, by providing household goods to people. We serve 85 families through our storehouse ministry off of this campus. We, we've had medical mission trips go out. We can meet the spiritual needs of people through discipleship and prayer and evangelism. And anytime we send out a mission team, it is, it is not going to be to go and paint a building somewhere. We're not going to pat ourselves on the back for going and doing something we want to go and share the gospel with people. There will be an element of evangelism in every activity that we do, in every mission trip that we take, every plane we get on, every drive across town that we take to the shelter. We want evangelism and sharing the gospel to be a key component of that. We can meet people's emotional needs. We have an incredible biblical counseling ministry, and time and time again, people have decided in that room to follow Jesus for the very first time. We, we send and support ministry partners, both physically and financially. I'm so excited that it looks like we have four families that are no longer going to be an active attendee of Church at the Mill because we're sending them to other states or other countries in the next 12 months. Man, that gets me fired up. We have more seats where we can put people in, where they can grow closer to Jesus and experience the call in their life. But now we've got people that are gonna be our future ministry partners as we send teams and send finances to support them. We can also use all of the giftings that God has for us, and that's our time and our resources, our funds. We have all of these things at our disposal that are unique to us in our own lives. And I often share with people when talking about our missions ministry, People will sometimes ask, like, how do I get started? What do I do? We have this idea of gather, grow, give, go, and it is not an elevation. You do not have to gather, grow, give, and then finally decide to go. It, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's more linear. It's, it's something that it, it does not, uh, going on a mission trip is not the pinnacle of your Christian walk. It's a part of it, but I think of missions as a passenger train. Passenger trains have a dining car and a sleeper car, and sometimes they have a scenic car where you can go and check things out, and it's filled with windows. You can move in between all of the cars. And I feel like our missions ministry is the same way, that whether you go to the rescue shelter and um, you cook a meal for somebody, or you're going to run a chainsaw with our disaster relief unit, or you're going to go on a mission trip to the other side of the world, I don't care where you are, we just want you on the train. We want you on the train with us because you have unique giftings that God wants to put to work, that our, our church needs you to come alongside of us because 70% of our county isn't associated with the church, because the majority of our world doesn't know the name of Jesus, because there's over 3,000 unreached people groups. We need you to come alongside us. I, I want to I end by sharing, you, uh, sharing with you three pictures. 
and, and asking you three questions. And this is a time of year where we kind of wrap things up and we look back at a year in review. Uh, I know that there's some TV shows that may be about celebrities that we have lost or, or notable notoriety that uh, no longer is living and we recognize them and, and think back about the great things in their life or Spotify might show you your most listened to songs. But I, I think about the three pictures that mean the most to me from this year. Here's, here's the first one. This is a good friend of mine named Art Dennis. Art's a longtime member of our church. His wife, Dottie, is with the Lord now. And uh, this is a picture from the mission field. Art and Dottie, they, they put a pause on their retirement many years ago. Their plan was to go and sail around the world. And then they responded to a disaster relief call that the IMB had down in Nicaragua, and that changed their life. They spent the next 15 or 17 years serving in about 15 different countries. Art was a brilliant photographer, and Art took the most incredible pictures and portraits of people at every country that he went to. And I recently met up with Art and his sister. Art is now in an assisted living facility and, and doing well. Um, but we're starting to see a fulfillment of a dream of Art's that he had for a long time. He knew that there weren't a lot of people that cared a lot about his photography, but it's incredible. And so I had the opportunity to take hundreds and hundreds of photos. I've got thousands of slides that we're gonna be digitizing. And, but we took them all to the International Mission Board and gave it to them for their archives. And as I was going through all of these pictures, I found this one that I assume Dottie took of Art doing, go, go back, uh, going, Art's doing the two things that he loves the most. He's spending time with children and he's making balloon animals. This was a recurring theme in so many photos that I saw. That was Art's love language. It would just get the attention of the kids. And, and so I, I love that this, this picture has a lot of tenderness. Art is incredibly relaxed. He's sharing and you see the smiles of these kids. And that's just who Art was. In the mission field, Art just wanted to see people know Jesus. And so my question for you here is, are, are you broken over the people in your life that don't yet know Jesus? What is your balloon animal that you're handing to somebody? This next picture uh, was from, uh, the picture on the left is um, not from my home, which is what makes this really exciting to me. Uh, back in May, you, you afforded me an opportunity to have a sabbatical. And so uh, I went to San Francisco and I had the opportunity to swim Alcatraz. So boat takes you and they drop you off at the prison and you get to swim a couple miles back in 56 degree water and uh, you, you end up at the other side and, and uh, they got a couple of people in some kayaks that make sure you don't perish and you sign a really great waiver that warns you of sea lions and sharks and cold temperatures and really strong currents and all kinds of stuff and you just ignore it and you just sign it just like you click I accept all terms and conditions. Okay, so, so I went there by myself and I, I walked up to the dock and I didn't know a single person but I met two other people that also didn't know anybody. I met Mark and JJ. And man, we hit it off and, and we really bonded. And as we were getting ready for the swim, we're, we're talking about our lives and our families and our work and why we were here and, and what this swim means to us. And, and it, it was a, a great experience. These guys were 
person X in my life. But I had no reason to ever have met them. The three of us live in three different states. We come from very different backgrounds. We have very different careers. But the thing about it is that this meetup meant so much to us. And in fact, Mark's wife knew that this meant a lot to him. So she printed this picture, framed it, and it's on their wall at their home. And it just meant so much to me that God orchestrated this meeting in this collision of lives, and we never should have met, but we have this weird hobby and this weird desire to go and do a really hard swim. And so now we text each other and, and we keep up with the different things that we're doing in each other's lives, and I've texted them and asked them how I can be praying for them or their families or their businesses. And these guys mean a lot to me, and, and I think that they know that it means a lot to them, and I. I hope they know that they've got a friend that loves them and is praying for them. And I don't know what God's going to do in our relationship. I, I don't exactly know where these guys stand in their relationship with Jesus. But I know that God took our common interest and allowed us to meet. And I thought that was beautiful. And so my question for you here is, what, what are your hobbies and your passions and your interests that you can use to make the bridge into someone else's life that gives you a reason to meet somebody when you have no reason to have ever met them before. And this last picture is actually my favorite one. On the left is a woman named Claudia who is suffering in this picture of terminal cancer. The woman in the middle, her name is Johanna, and she and her husband Jesse work for the Pearl Foundation, which is a ministry that we support, founded by some of our church members, Daryl and Linda Henson. And on the right is my 11-year-old daughter, Bailey, on her first mission trip that she took this summer. My wife texted me this picture, and she told me the story about how they went to go visit Claudia, and Bailey felt convicted to read scripture over Claudia. And once I dried my tears, I thought two things. I thought, first, man, I'm so proud of Bailey because I know that this was hard. She's never been out of the country. She's never been on a mission trip. She's beginning to learn how to share her faith and to pray for other people. And I know that she's never been around someone so close to death. But I also had the thought of sharing this with other people to encourage you that if my 11-year-old daughter on her first mission trip can do this, every adult believer is without excuse to take a step and share the gospel with somebody or to pray with somebody, or to read scripture over somebody. So my challenge for you, these final three questions that you see. Are you broken over the people in your life that don't know Jesus yet? What are your passions and your interests that you're able to extend to meet people for the sake of the gospel? And are you being obedient to what God wants in your life? What step do you need to take in 2024 so that other people can come with you on that journey. We want you on the missions train. So what will that be for you? Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for 10 years to serve you and to be with you and to help you get mobilized in our country and beyond. And let me remind you to visit our kiosk and figure out how you can get involved in Spartanburg. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that's rich. Thank you for the families that we serve. Thank you for the families that we get to release next year to go and serve you in another place. 
God, I pray for whatever the future seats will be on a plane where we've got mission trips that are on waiting lists right now, some of them. I pray for the next person who's ready to raise their hand and said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go and not come back. God, I pray for the life of our church and the impact that we have in our community in the future. We've seen you work in so many great ways over the last 10 years, and God, I pray for what you'll do in the next 30 or 40 or 50. God, so just work through this congregation who is so special to me, and I pray, Lord, that you would mobilize them and release them, give them boldness and courage, and allow them to consider others more significant than themselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.